Welcome back to Sad Girl Study Guides. As always, I'm your host, Amelia, and as always, I'm sad. I hope everyone listening is having an excellent 2020 so far and that it's going better than 2019. So far, mine's going decently well, although, to be honest, my expectations weren't exactly high given the dumpster fire that was 2019. On to today's subject. This study guide is going to be about Pauline Bonaparte. Going into today's study guide, I was super excited to do research on Pauline Bonaparte. She is arguably the most scandalous of all of the Bonaparte siblings. She's known for her many love affairs and her multiple husbands. So I was like, oh good, historical gossip. But being the idiot that I am, I forgot that historical gossip around women, especially in the early 19th century, tends to be very slut-shamey and not exactly reliable. With that in mind, I'm going to do my best in today's episode to be as non-slut-shamey as possible because Pauline Bonaparte was a woman who was very capable of making her own decisions and a lot of the things that happened to her in her life occurred before she was 18 which adds a level of sketchiness that I'm not necessarily comfortable with and besides all of that she was an interesting woman. You almost certainly did not learn about Pauline Bonaparte in any detail in history class for reasons that are going to become real clear as we dive into her life. That being said, her study guide has a lot of affairs, milk, and two very fun and complicated engagements before she is even 20 years old. Let's begin. The woman who would be known as Pauline Bonaparte is born October 20th, 1780 in Corsica. Her parents, of course, are Maria Letizia and Carlo Bonaparte, and she is the sixth of their eight surviving children. Pauline is born Maria Pauli Bonaparte, but growing up, she is going to be known as Maria Paula, Pauletta, and Paulette. However, to avoid confusion from all of these various name changes, I'm just going to refer to her as Pauline throughout the episodes. Pauline is 11 years younger than her famous older brother, Napoleon, so she doesn't spend any time with him before he moved to France for school. However, despite this, we do know a decent amount about her childhood because Napoleon later on in life claims that she was the most spoiled member of the Bonaparte clan, which creates a real bond between the two of them. And while he's off in France getting an education, Napoleon is going to send Pauline various fashion plates, aka magazine pictures, of of current French fashions, which which shows that from an early age, Pauline is going to have a real love of finery. When Pauline is five, her father dies of stomach cancer, which means she is not going to receive a formal education. In fact, she is the first of the Bonaparte children not to go to school. However, when she's a little bit older, she almost is sent to the prestigious 
Madame Capon Academy, where Joseph, her older brother, is going to send his daughters, but she ends up not attending for various reasons. This means that as an adult, she is going to tend to dictate her letters and other pieces of writing to avoid showing her poor grasp of spelling and her less than ideal handwriting. Growing up, Pauline is going to have a reputation for being very frivolous and more than a little flirty, which may have been due to the whole lack of a formal education. This reputation is going to continue past childhood. A lot of the sources I read called her scatterbrained and so on. She also becomes obsessed with her appearance, especially her hands, which are known for being delicate and pale. As a side note, her brother Napoleon also had tiny and beautiful hands, which he was super proud of, and the two siblings would bond over their shared love of their hands. She also is obsessed with her feet, which are small and delicate, which apparently was a big thing in the early 1800s. So Pauline grows up on Corsica, getting no education whatsoever, and growing up to be consumed with her looks. All that changes in 1793 when she's 12 because Lucien Bonaparte is stirring up issues with the Corsican government, falls out with its leader, and the entire family has to flee. During the trip from Corsica to southern France, Pauline is going to change her name to Paulette and then eventually Pauline. The Bonaparte family is going to end up settling in Marseille. And when they first settle in Marseille, the family isn't doing super great. They're really poor. In fact, they're so poor that, according to contemporary sources, Elisa, Pauline, and their youngest sister, Caroline, have to share a single hat between them, which Pauline hates. She's not used to being poor. Back in Corsica, the Bonapartes were well off, and she was the beauty with the beautiful dresses, the beautiful hats, and she does not like this turn of events. Thank you very much. But Pauline has a way of combating all of this. She has her beauty, and she's going to use her beauty for her advantage. According to contemporary sources, even at the age of 12, Pauline is so beautiful that her beauty outshines the less than stellar clothes the family can afford for her. As soon as the family lands in Marseille, Pauline begins to develop a reputation for being extremely flirty extremely quickly, and she's only 12 or 13 at the time, so that's more than a little bit troubling. As a result of this, Pauline is going to be known for being flirty and beautiful for the rest of her life. She has dark hair, dark eyes, and is pale and delicate looking, which was very trendy both then and arguably now. Pauline is going to be a beauty for the rest of her life. Even when she's in her 20s and 30s, people say that she looks like she's in her late teens at the oldest. When Pauline is about 14, she most likely has her first sexual relationship with a local boy. It's actually unclear if this actually happened because stories of the sexual relationship are mostly reported on in Russian pamphlets as well as pro-royalist French pamphlets. 
both of which are very biased against Napoleon and his family and would have a real reason to say not-so-nice things about Pauline. Even if this relationship with the local boy didn't happen, it's probably around this time in 1795 or so that Pauline starts some sort of relationship with Jean-Baptiste Cervoni, who will eventually become one of Napoleon's generals. And then the next year, at the oh-so-old age of 15, Pauline definitely starts a relationship with a nationally known politician, Stanislaw Ferran, who is 40 years old and is the godson of the King of Poland and has a lot of a reputation throughout France at the time. Pauline and Stanislaw probably got introduced through Lucien because Lucien is always in the middle of everything that had to do with politics and did want one of his sisters to marry a famous politician because that would help the family rise in the ranks. After all, they're still stuck in Marseille, not exactly wealthy. Yes, Napoleon is doing well in the French army, but things always could do better. Despite the age gap between Stanislaw and Pauline, at the beginning, the entire Bonaparte family is fine with the relationship because Ferran is extremely influential in the local Marseille government as well as in terms of the larger French national government. Yes, Ferran has a tendency to be criticized for being way too extravagant and way too over the top, which had caused some falling outs with his friends in the Reign of Terror government, but Pauline probably loved that because through Ferran, she gets introduced to the theater scene and he takes her to the city and helps her see society for the first time. Also, Ferran runs in a really fun circle, and Pauline, at last, gets to be a part of all that. Despite Ferran's less-than-savory reputation, by March 1796, Pauline and Ferran are engaged. Pauline is super into the engagement. After the two officially are engaged, she writes him this long letter comparing their relationship to the famous classical Renaissance relationship of Petrarch and Laura. And this comparison is kind of questionable, given that Pauline had no formal education and had no reason to know who the hell Petrarch and Laura were. But Ferran was famous in France for his translations of Petrarch's writing into French. So, how did this letter from Pauline get written? Well, her older well, her older siblings, specifically Lucien, probably wrote the letter for her in order to impress her older fiance. And Ferron was impressed. However, the engagement ended up going nowhere because ultimately Pauline's mother, Letizia, did not approve of Ferran. Part of it was due to the massive 20 plus year age gap, but most of it was because Ferran was also having a relationship with this Italian actress and the two already had several children together in the very 
very Catholic, Letizia Bonaparte did not approve of children out of wedlock. So suddenly there's family pressure to break off the engagement. Pauline is not a fan of this idea. She loves Ferran. She will be with him even if he's cheating on her. And she ends up writing this long letter to Ferran being like, look, no matter what my family says, I love you. I will be faithful to you forever. But it ends up not mattering. Lucien Bonaparte, once again, interferes. He steps in, he breaks them up, and the relationship is over. And for once, Napoleon is not the meddling, interfering brother who is breaking up happy relationships. So now we're in 1797. Pauline is 16, 17. She's single. She's sad. She needs a diversion. And she gets one. She possibly has a relationship with another general in the French army named Dufault Leonardo. But this relationship goes absolutely nowhere because in the middle of it, Leonardo dies. And then she enters into a relationship with Andoche Junot, who is one of Napoleon's aides, who is head over heels in love with Pauline. And Junot is the perfect guy for Pauline because he is amazingly wealthy. As soon as his dad dies, Junot is going to inherit 20,000 francs, which is about $2 million in today's money, give or take a bit. And shockingly, Junot's family approves of the relationship between him and Pauline, even though Pauline isn't particularly rich and already has not such a good reputation. The Junot family probably approves of the relationship because of how quickly Napoleon Bonaparte is rising in the French army and everyone wants to be on Napoleon's good side. So it looks like this relationship is going to take off and Pauline will be engaged to Junot. But then, shockingly, Napoleon says, yeah, no, I actually don't want my little sister to get engaged to Andoche Junot. And he says no to the relationship because he doesn't like that Junot isn't going to inherit the 20,000 francs immediately, but only once his father dies. And he points out that Junot's father could live for another few decades, which would mean that he and Pauline wouldn't actually have the money. As a result of Napoleon's interference, the relationship between Pauline and Junot fades off, and Pauline isn't particularly heartbroken about it. As it turns out, Junot was much more into Pauline than Pauline was into him. In the aftermath of both the Ferran breakup and the Junot breakup, Pauline may have had another relationship with a civilian member of the French government, but it's unclear. I wasn't even able to find out the name of this possible love interest. But if this relationship happened, it doesn't last all that long because Pauline gets distracted. She gets invited to hang out in Milan with Napoleon and Joseph. And during her time in Milan, she has a fantastic trip. She gets into a bunch of little scrapes because she has a habit of stealing papers straight off of Napoleon's desk and refusing to return them to her big brother. While she's in Milan, Napoleon and Joseph try to set her up 
yet again with another one of Napoleon's aides named Marmont, but Marmont straight up turns her down because he doesn't like the reputation that Pauline is starting to develop for herself. And then in 1797, Pauline finally gets engaged. This engagement is to an army officer named Charles Victoire Emmanuel Leclerc, who I'm just going to call Leclerc because that's a lot easier. Leclerc is extremely ambitious and as a result of his ambition has become completely obsessed with Napoleon because if you want to move up in the French army in the late 1790s, Napoleon is your man for the job. Leclerc is attempting to copy Napoleon so much that he develops the nickname the Blonde Bonaparte. And a great way to get in with Napoleon is to become really close with one of his siblings. And the clerk decides that Pauline is going to be the sibling that he gets close to. In fact, they're so close that according to some rumors, Napoleon catches the two of them having sex behind a screen in Napoleon's office. And Napoleon is not amused by this turn of events and insists that the two get married, even though Pauline is kind of ambivalent about Leclerc and the whole marriage thing, but it doesn't matter because it's Napoleon and what Napoleon wants Napoleon gets. Leclerc, on the other hand, is fine with the marriage plan because he's going to do whatever he has to do to make Napoleon happy. So on June 14th, 1797, Pauline and Leclerc get married. At the time of the marriage, Pauline is only 17 and Leclerc is 25. So while there's an age gap, let's sketchy. It's definitely not as bad as other Napoleonic age gaps we have experienced. Pauline, as we've established, is a beauty par none. And while Leclerc is handsome, he's also very short, and Pauline develops the nickname My Little Leclerc for him, which is lovely and not at all passive-aggressive. At the time of the wedding, Leclerc is super anti-Pauline because, let's face it, what man isn't? And Pauline is aggressively ambivalent about the entire getting married proposition. Once the wedding is over, Pauline returns back to France while Leclerc stays in Italy to work with Napoleon on the whole military thing. During her time in France, specifically Paris, Pauline is going to have a great time. She's going to go to a bunch of parties, attend salons, so on and so on. I mean, what else is a sister of Napoleon Bonaparte supposed to do in Paris in the late 1790s? It's during this time in Paris that Pauline is going to continue developing her reputation for being witty and silly and the life of a party. During her time in Paris, she's going to live close to her siblings and her mother, and she's going to be extremely close to her sister, Caroline, who she also is very competitive with. It's also during her time in Paris that Pauline is going to get very suspicious of her sister-in-law, Josephine 
Bonaparte. Pauline partially blamed Josephine for breaking her and for Ron up, and she became convinced that Josephine was cheating on Napoleon, which ended up being correct. Josephine was having an affair at this point in her life, but as it turned out, Napoleon also would have quite a few affairs of his own, as would Pauline, so Pauline stopped digging in to other people's business. It doesn't concern you. In April 1798, Pauline gives birth to her first and only child, a son named Dermide Louis Napoleon Leclerc, aka the first Bonaparte boy to not be named Napoleon and to have a somewhat creative name, except as it turned out, Napoleon did pick out Dermide's name from a poem that he liked. It's unclear why Pauline only had a single child, because the rest of her siblings, especially her sisters, did not really have an issue having multiple children. There's a possibility that Dermide's delivery was complicated, and in the process, she had an issue and just couldn't give birth anymore, but the more likely possibility is that Pauline had some sort of untreated sexually transmitted infection that negatively impacted her fertility. After giving birth to Dermide, Pauline is going to stay in Paris and continue having a grand old time. That's going to continue until 1801, because in 1801, Napoleon makes the genius decision to have Leclerc be the Governor General of Saint-Domingue, aka modern-day Haiti. Leclerc had just ended serving in Portugal, but his time in Portugal hadn't exactly gone great. He had isolated a lot of the French soldiers there, which had started rumors that he had only been promoted to various military positions because he was Napoleon's brother-in-law, which wasn't exactly an untrue rumor. And Napoleon's like, look, Leclerc isn't exactly doing a great job. Saint-Domingue is in the middle of a rebellion under the leadership of Toussaint Louverture because of my oh-so-stupid decision to bring slavery back to the colony. And for a much more detailed look at what the heck was going on in Saint-Domingue slash the Haitian Revolution, I would suggest listening to the entirety of the fourth season of Mike Duncan's Revolutions podcast, to be totally honest. So, in 1801, Leclerc is sent to Saint-Domingue to deal with the rebellion, and Pauline and Armide move to Saint-Domingue with him. Pauline is not exactly thrilled with this whole move, even though it means that her husband has gotten a major promotion because now suddenly he's a governor general, not just a boring old military general. She literally throws a tantrum when she finds out that she and her family are going to be leaving Paris. However, once she arrives in Saint-Domingue, Pauline handles herself fairly well. She sets up a little zoo in Saint-Domingue, and at one point, when her mansion in the capital city is under siege, she doesn't freak out that much. She's very calm, very contained. She handles herself with a plum. 
Also, she is going to continue having affairs during her time in Sandomang. She even gets a chance to reunite with her first fiancé, Stanislaw Ferran, who is on the same boat as them as they're sailing over to Sandomang. However, when she reunites with Stanislaw, he is poor and sick, and that doesn't really count as a grand sweeping reunion. But still, nice story. While Sandomang is a chance for Pauline to prove that she is stronger than a lot of people would give her credit for, it does not exactly go well for Leclerc or the French army. One, the French troops keep losing to the Haitian forces, and then everyone keeps getting sick, specifically of yellow fever, because that's what happens when you dump a bunch of Europeans in a country where they don't have immunity to local diseases, and this is yet another reason why colonialization is a bad life decision. In 1802, the entire Leclerc family ends up catching yellow fever, and Leclerc ends up dying of it on November 2nd, 1802, although some sources say it was cholera, but the majority say, yeah, he died of yellow fever. Leclerc's death was devastating for Napoleon's plan of reconquering Saint-Domingue. He lost his general in charge of the plan, and Napoleon is ultimately going to pull out of Saint-Domingue, which means Haiti will become an independent country. In fact, Haiti is the second independent nation in the Western Hemisphere after, of course, the United States. As a result of the failure in Haiti, Napoleon is going to give up his attempts at creating a Western French empire in the Americas, which will have a cascading effect, including a little something in the U.S. called the Louisiana Purchase, but that's not really here nor there. Leclerc's death is also completely devastating for Pauline, despite her previous ambivalence towards her husband. After he dies, she's so overcome with grief that she cuts off all of her hair and puts it in his coffin so a piece of her can be with him in death. Then she takes his body, her son, and herself and returns back to Paris. Her original plan was probably to stay in mourning for whatever the socially acceptable amount of time was, but it ends up only lasting about a month because mourning is boring and Paris is fun. After Leclerc's death, Pauline's reputation for sleeping around really starts to develop. When she's in Paris and out of mourning, she apparently has an affair with this actor known as Lafon, who she had met back when she was married to Leclerc, and the two start their relationship in seriousness less than a year after Leclerc is dead, which is not a great look if you're trying that whole mourning widow thing. And then Pauline starts to obsessively buy stuff, especially dresses, which kind of reminds me of her least favorite sister-in-law, Josephine. Pauline specifically is into the Merveilleux fashion of the time, which was all about classically inspired clothing that also happened to be transparent and was so shocking that there were laws that tried to 
ban it because of the whole transparency thing. But Pauline loved the fashion, and why wouldn't she? After all, she was hot, she had a banging body, and she was super young. Why not show it off? Apparently, Pauline bought so many dresses in the merveilleux style that there was no way that she could physically wear them all. Literally, at this point in her life, she owned 600 dresses in the style and tons of jewels, which was extremely scandalous because her husband had just died and widows are supposed to be in mourning for years. And Pauline is aggressively not doing that. Also, around this time, Pauline starts to get known for her milk baths. Apparently, Pauline would take a bath in milk every day to make her skin softer and paler because, remember, Pauline is famous for her delicate, pale skin, specifically her pale hands and feet, which was very Cleopatra of her. And to make these baths even more scandalous, she would be carried into them by a black manservant named Paul. So not only is a man seeing her naked, it's a non-white man to add a nice little level of racism and sexism into the story. Anyone who's anyone in Parisian society is whispering about Pauline Bonaparte and her milk baths, but Pauline just doesn't care because it's Pauline. And for about a year, Pauline's going to be doing her thing, buying expensive dresses, seeing any man she wants to, going to parties, taking her daily milk baths, having a grand old time in Paris. But that's all going to change in 1803, because Napoleon starts trying to consolidate his power in Italy. And a great way to consolidate power, if you're Napoleon, is to marry one of your single siblings off to some vaguely well-connected European single person. And that's what Napoleon's going to do with Pauline. He organizes a marriage between Pauline and Prince Camillo Borghese, who is from an extremely prominent Italian family who's extremely rich, the family the Borghese family owns one of the most famous art galleries in Rome, Villa Borghese. He's also related to the Pope and is not that bright. As a fun little cherry on top to this marriage, Pauline might have already been sleeping with Prince Camillo, so Napoleon was extra eager to force Pauline to marry the man. The two end up getting married in August 1803. At the time of the second wedding, Pauline is 22, and she's already been through a lot. Pauline is not especially attracted to Prince Camilla Borghese, but she's like, being a princess, why the hell not? So she agrees to the marriage. After her marriage to Prince Camillo, Pauline moves to Italy and, and, and immediately starts having an amazing court in Rome. I mean, why wouldn't she? Her husband is literally one of the wealthiest men in the country. She's also going to continue to have many affairs. According to rumors of the time and nowadays, Camilo Borghese was gay, but he also had mistresses. And in my opinion, he was probably bisexual because bisexual humans in history 
do exist, so he tolerated her affairs. However, because Pauline was so open in her cheating, she ended up becoming pretty unpopular with the Romans, which made Napoleon not exactly pleased because this marriage was meant to make him more popular in Italy and Rome, and now Pauline was ruining it. It gets so bad that Napoleon tells Pauline to stop and even threatens her with exile if she continues to have affairs, but Pauline doesn't exactly listen to her big brother. She's going to continue having affairs. Some of her most famous lovers from this time period include the curator of the Louvre Museum, Nicolas de Forbin, a famous violinist, Giuseppe Marco Maria Felice Blangini, and one of Napoleon's aides, Armand Jules de Canovial. And those are just the ones we know about. Good for you, Pauline Bonaparte. I admire you greatly. But then in 1804, Pauline starts to suffer some pretty serious health issues. It's unclear exactly what Pauline was suffering from. It may have been remnants from the yellow fever that she had gotten during her time in Haiti, but it may have been side effects from some sort of sexually transmitted infection. We just don't know. Either way, Camilla Borghese is worried enough about Pauline's health that he sends her to a spa in Pisa to recover. While she's at the spa, Pauline's like, look, I want my son to be with me so I can take care of him. But Borghese's like, no, 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 it's okay. I'll just have your son stay with my brother. And Pauline's like, okay, fine. But then her son, Dermid, dies of a fever in August 1804. Pauline is furious, and she blames her husband for her son's death, which makes their relationship, which wasn't exactly great to begin with due to the rampant cheating on both sides, even worse. By the end of 1804, Pauline is back in Paris to help out with Napoleon's whole getting coronated to become the emperor of France thing. And during the build-up to the coronation, Pauline is not exactly in the greatest of moods. She is pissed the fuck off that her arch nemesis, her sister-in-law, Josephine, is going to be named Empress of France, whereas little old Pauline doesn't have any noble titles. She literally throws a fit about being forced to carry Josephine's train during the ceremony, and in order to get her revenge on Josephine, she ends up dropping the train at one point, which literally makes Josephine fall over. Luckily, Josephine is able to recover and not humiliate herself, so Josephine gets the last laugh. But Pauline is going to be the first of the Bonaparte siblings to tell Napoleon to divorce Josephine over the whole lack of an heir thing, and obviously Napoleon will end up doing that. So in the Pauline-Josephine battle, Pauline does end up winning. Soon after, in 1806, Napoleon makes Pauline the Duchess of Gustala. 
Pauline had been extremely annoyed that Napoleon had given her older sister, Elisa, a title first, even though Pauline was technically already a princess through her marriage to Camilo Borghese and kept demanding that Napoleon give her a title. So Napoleon made her the Duchess of Gestala. But Pauline still wasn't happy because, as it turns out, Gestala is extremely tiny. It essentially was just a village. So Pauline promptly sold the village to the Kingdom of Parma in exchange for 6 million francs and then decided to invest the money she made in French government bonds, which is actually really smart of Pauline. As it turns out, Pauline kind of does have a sense for money. She also managed, at the same time, to convince Napoleon to make her husband a governor of the Alps, which was quite the upgrade. Even though Pauline could be a little bit of a brat at times, she also was quite the savvy negotiator. Around this time, possibly as a thank you for promoting me, honey, Borghese commissions a statue to be made of Pauline. He decides that it has to be made by the most famous sculptor of the time, Antonio Canova, who Pauline almost certainly did not sleep with. For the statue, Pauline poses like Venus Victress, aka Venus the Conqueror, which meant posing in the nude, which was extremely scandalous to French society. After the statue was completed in 1808, someone asked Pauline if she felt awkward posing nude in front of a male artist, and Pauline laughed and was like, no, there was a fire going in the fireplace the entire time, so it's not like I was cold. Besides, the statue is beautiful, and the statue is beautiful. It's still on display in Galleria Borghese, which is in the Borghese Villa Borghese, and it is absolutely beautiful. I've been lucky enough to see it in person twice, and it is fantastic. During the early 1800s, Pauline keeps up having affairs. Honestly, the number of affairs that Pauline has in these years really varies depending on the source. Some anti-Napoleon, anti-French sources give at least 25 named lovers of Pauline and countless other unnamed ones, but really it doesn't matter. It shouldn't. Like Pauline's just living her best life and good for her. During these years, Pauline is also bouncing around between Italy, where she and her husband are ruling, and France, where she can go to parties, go to spas, and be part of French society. By about 1810, Pauline and her husband are essentially living completely separate lives and doing completely separate things, but they are going to stay married and they will never try to divorce each other, unlike other siblings. <coughs> Louis. So that's going to be Pauline's life up through 1814 when Napoleon abdicates and gets exiled to Elba. When Pauline finds out about Napoleon's exile, she is in total shock. In fact, she first is convinced that he had been killed and has to be talked down from that. And everyone has to be like, no, he's alive. He's just in exile. Pauline is completely devastated to hear what's happened to Napoleon, and she ends up selling a lot of her belongings and actually moving to Elba with him. 
she's the only one of the Bonaparte siblings to actually go into exile with Napoleon, which I think says something about the relationship between Pauline and Napoleon. Napoleon had said that he was the closest to Elisa, but then Pauline is the only one to join him, so maybe they were really the closest. While Pauline is on Elba with her brother, she is going to help him manage his finances, which makes sense. After all, she was the only one who had actually invested in government bonds. So maybe out of all the Bonaparte siblings, she had the best head for money. She also is going to be hosting parties on Elba and making sure that her brother has some form of a social life. When Napoleon flees Elba and does the whole 100 days thing, Pauline isn't going to directly partake in it. She's not going to help him govern. She obviously is not going to be part of any military action, but she will sell some of her diamond jewelry to help raise money for her brother. However, the money will never make it to Napoleon because it gets captured by the English army en route. After Waterloo, however, Pauline withdraws a bit from supporting her brother. She ends up moving to Rome, like so many other members of the Bonaparte family, and through the help of the Pope, Pius VII, she's able to settle down. Initially, she lives in the Palazzo Borghese, which is now the Spanish embassy, while her husband, Camilo Borghese, is estranged from her and living in Florence. She then buys herself a villa in Rome, which she names Via Paulina after herself, and decorates it in the Egyptian style, which is super popular at that time period and is very fun, even though no one knew what hieroglyphics said yet, so all of the hieroglyphic decorations were literally nonsense. Even though the Bonaparte family is a little bit in decline post-Waterloo, Pauline still has a reputation for being an amazing hostess. She literally uses her villa to throw a different party every week. Nowadays, Villa, Villa Paulina is the French embassy in Rome, which is kind of ironic. Even though Pauline is busy being a hostess and throwing these fabulous parties, she does still want to visit Napoleon on St. Helena, but she's never quite able to do so because of her poor health, which probably was due to the yellow fever she had gotten in Saint-Domingue. However, she does write various letters to foreign leaders asking them to free her brother from exile, which obviously never happens, and arranging various servants to be sent to St. Helena so he can be comfortable in his, ex- in his exile. When Napoleon does end up dying in 1821, Pauline is completely devastated and is probably the sibling to be the most upset. In 1823, Pauline's health really takes a serious decline. Her doctors want her to live by the ocean because in the 1820s, that was basically the cure for any serious health issue, but Pauline insists on staying in Rome. The next year, she starts reconciling with her husband, who is still living in Florence with one of his many mistresses. The Pope at the time ends up stepping in and helping her with the reconciliation, and it works. Pauline and Borghese do reunite, but the reunion doesn't last all that long because Pauline Bonaparte ends up dying 
on June 9, 1825, at the age of 44, of stomach cancer. According to legend, her last words were, I'm not afraid to die, I'm still beautiful, which are some fucking killer last words, if you ask me. She is buried in the Basilica of Santa Maria Maggiore in Rome. So, that's Pauline Bonaparte. For those fans of the study guide who prefer who prefer bullet points to a full-on lecture, let's do a quick little recap. Pauline Bonaparte was the sixth of the eight surviving Bonaparte children. She was 11 years younger than her famous brother, so they grew up pretty much separately. From an early age, Pauline was known for being beautiful, if a little frivolous. Because her father died when she was only five years old, she never got a formal education. When she was 12, the entire family had to flee Corsica and move to Marseille. In Marseille, 12-year-old Pauline, who already was very beautiful, began to develop a not-so-great reputation because all the men in town wanted to hang out with her, which isn't great given that she was 12. When Pauline was about 14 or 15, she started having relationships with various members of the French army, which good for Pauline which good for Pauline, good for knowing who to connect herself with, but bad for these men for sleeping with an actual teenager. At 15, Pauline got engaged for the first time to a famous 40-year-old politician named Stanislaw Ferran. The engagement ended up falling apart, one, because Stanislaw was over two decades older than her, and two, because he had a mistress who he had multiple children with. After this engagement fell apart, Pauline then briefly got engaged to another member of the French army, a close friend of Napoleon, who came from a very wealthy family, but for various reasons, Napoleon didn't want them to get together, so this engagement also fell apart. But Pauline couldn't be stopped. She kept bouncing around through various relationships, which, why not? Have a good time, girl. And then, in 1797, she finally got engaged and then married to yet another one of Napoleon's army officers, Charles Victoire Emmanuel Leclerc, after Napoleon caught them having sex in his office. Leclerc was much more into Pauline than Pauline was into him, but the marriage went okay. Leclerc kept getting promoted in the army due to his family connection to Napoleon, and Pauline settled settled down in Paris and quickly joined Parisian society where she got a reputation for being beautiful and fun. All that changed in 1801 when Napoleon sent Leclerc over to Saint-Domingue in an attempt to put down the Haitian Revolution. This failed because one, the Haitians were much better fighters than the French forces that were attempting to put it down, and two, because of a fun little disease known as yellow fever. As a result, Leclerc died, and suddenly Pauline was single yet again. And Pauline really enjoyed being single. During this little bout of singledom, she got a reputation for being a real clothes horse and for loving to take a good milk bath. But Pauline was only going to be single for about a year because then in 1803, Napoleon, in an attempt to consolidate power in Italy, married her off to the very wealthy 
very well-connected, and very stupid, Prince Camilo Borghese. Once again, Pauline wasn't exactly into her new husband, but she didn't let that stop her. She moved to Italy, set up an amazing court, and had a it had a string of epic and fun and fun affairs, much to her brother's dismay. The only downside of her time in Italy was that her beloved son, Dermid, did die of a fever. But beyond that, life in Italy was good. Pauline was given the title of Duchess by her brother, and she promptly sold off the title in exchange for six million francs to the Kingdom of Parma, and then invested the money in French government bonds and made even more money, continued to throw awesome parties, have a bunch of affairs, had a famous sculpture made in her honor. Things were going great. Of course, it all came crashing down in 1804, in 1814, when Napoleon abdicated and got exiled to Elba. Pauline was the only one of the Bonaparte siblings to actually join her brother in exile, and she did her best to cheer Napoleon up by managing his finances and throwing him a ton of parties. This attempt at cheer didn't work because Napoleon fled his exile, attempted to retake over Europe in the 100 days, and then got defeated in Waterloo. After Waterloo, Pauline decided that, yeah, she wasn't going to join her brother in exile yet again and moved to Rome when Napoleon went to St. Helena. She would spend the rest of her life in Rome, mostly operating out of Villa Paulina, where she would continue to throw some pretty epic parties. However, in the 1820s, Pauline's health started to massively decline, and she ended up dying in 1825 at the age of 44 of stomach cancer. While Pauline is mostly known to history for frankly being a bit of a slut, I think she deserves more than that. Yes, she did sleep around a lot, but guess what? So did Napoleon, and no one's judging him for that. Okay, fine. I judge him for that, but most of that judgment is because he was super old and was sleeping with like 17-year-olds. Pauline didn't do that. She was sleeping with age-appropriate people. We honestly should be celebrating that Pauline was doing what she wanted with her life and sort of saying screw you to double standards of society. I really like Pauline. I think she's the most fun of all the Bonaparte siblings. Yes, she's never going to be my favorite the way Elisa and Lucien are, obviously, but I think she's great and should be celebrated more. Most of my research on Pauline for this episode came from Shannon Sullen's March 2014 article, How Pauline Bonaparte Lived for Pleasure, Flora Fraser's book, Venus of Empire, The Life of Pauline Bonaparte, Joseph Turquan's book, The Sisters of Napoleon, and Hector Fleischmann's book, Pauline Bonaparte and Her Lovers. Next week, I will be discussing Caroline Bonaparte, who was a real bitch in both a good and a bad way. Also, this week on Patreon, I'll be releasing a tangent cast on Emma Hamilton, another scandalous lady who is vaguely related to Napoleon. Speaking of Patreon, I just want to give a shout out to Buddy for becoming a patron on Patreon. If you would like to get a shout out and become a patron on Patreon, you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash sadgirl study guides if you would like access to the super fun bi-weekly tangent casts where i talk about people places or things that don't quite make it into 
the full study guides, you can join at the $5 a month level or above. As always, if you have questions, comments, or concerns, you can email the podcast at sadgirlstudyguides at gmail.com. And for social media, you can tweet me at sadgirlstudypod. And there's the Instagram at sadgirlstudy for fun history memes. If you want to help the show grow, tell a friend or subscribe. We're on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, and Spotify. And as always, let me know how I'm doing. Rate or review or else. I'll be sad. Thanks.